My name is Father Athanasios Heros. I'm the Dean here at St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Welcome back to another live stream Bible study on the book of 1 Corinthians, inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. So, how does it work? If you're new, let me share with you how it works. There is a, uh, a study guide. We have a video, of course, if you're watching the video, you already have found that. The study guide can be found on my website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash Bible-studies. And you're going to see all of the various sessions. Tonight is session 28. And session 28 means we are in homily 27. There's a link to the homily text on the study guide. So what we do is this, St. John Chrysostom was a priest serving in Antioch in the end of the 4th century, late 300s, we think in this case somewhere around 385 AD, and he taught a Bible study. Even though we call these homilies, this particular series of his were not homilies delivered in church during worship. This was an actual Bible study series that he taught, and we know that because the homilies do not follow the lectionary. Other homilies he's done, for example, on the book of Acts and the book of Romans, each homily lines up to the readings of the day. And so uh, it follows the lectionary from the fourth century. So by the way, we've done Bible studies on the book of Acts and the book of Romans. And so if you're interested, you can also find a book of Romans with study guides on my website. And on my YouTube channel, you can find the video uh, archives of our Bible study on the book of Acts. We have not yet republished those study guides. So if you're bored and looking for something to do and you want to binge watch Bible study with Father Athanasius, I think it's a worthy thing to binge watch Bible study with me. After tonight, there'll be 28 hours of Bible study on 1 Corinthians. I have 55 hours Bible study on the book of Acts, and I have 33 hours of Bible study on Romans. So that's like, I mean, you don't have to go to sleep for like two weeks and you can watch me just nonstop. Of course, that might put you to sleep on the other hand, but... <laughs> All right, so as I said, tonight is uh, session 28, homily 27. Tonight we will be discussing 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. There is an online chat room 
moderated by my wife, Presbyter Vasi. She's not in the room tonight, although sometimes she is. She's traveling and I'm all alone and she's left me alone for the entire week. Oh, woe is me. Do you see how depressed I am? You're, you're making me laugh because I'm going to think I'm not telling the truth, that my wife is gone and I'm sad about it. But I am sad. I am sad. Um, so there is a live chat room for those of you watching on YouTube, but you have to be watching on the YouTube app or the YouTube uh, directly. You cannot be watching on my website. So if you want to participate in the live chat room, uh, you can go on the, on the, it should say play on app or load app or watch on app or however you want to do that, but you have to be on YouTube directly to be able to participate in the live chat room. If you have any questions in the live chat room, Presvideravasi will inform me on my phone and I'll be able to pull up your questions and be able to include those into our conversation. So, uh, for those of you watching at home, I want to apologize in advance. We do have people in the room, so if you're ever in Tarpon Springs, we encourage you to come join us in person. It's always nice to have people in the room. But because of we're experiencing technical difficulties, we do not have the audience microphones set up tonight, and so we're going to do our best there. If they read, are going to read loud enough for my microphone to pick them up. It'll pick them up, just not very, uh, not as loudly as we'd like. So you're going to have to listen attentively if that's the case. I think that's everything. Oh, one more thing. Uh, you probably noticed a commercial ran when you loaded the uh, live stream tonight. We are currently raising funds to make our Bible studies ad free. There's a donation button on YouTube. You can also go to our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash give, and you can support us that way. And hopefully once we can raise enough, we will turn off the ad button on all of our Bible study videos, which uh, hopefully we can do that sooner than later. All right, let's go ahead and start with our opening prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, are the light of our souls and bodies, and to you we give glory, together with your fathers without beginning, and your all holy, good, and life-creating spirit, always, now, and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. See, I'm getting some sympathy calls here on the chat room, so at least some people have sympathy for me. If not, Maria, obviously, has no sympathy for me whatsoever to be alone. All right, before we dig in, you'll notice on the, on the study guide, if you're new, we have what's called text analysis. And uh, Michael, you're new, so I'll explain it to you since you're, this is your first week here. The text analysis, if you're reading the homily, follows verse by verse like a traditional Bible study would. Then St. John Chrysostom launches into, and sometimes it's inspired by one word, one verse or something, he launches into a teaching. I call that in our Bible study life application. 
okay? And where you see the section numbers in the study guide, that corresponds to the sections that the editors have put in the homily. Okay, I'm sorry, I don't have the homily uh, to give to you for tonight. But, oh, you, you loaded it already, okay, good. So that way, with the study guide, you can find in the homily where those paragraphs are coming from. Because what I do is I just put, in, I, I pull different parts to have a cohesive conversation tonight. But as, uh, as you were saying earlier, it was difficult sometimes to read him. He is brilliant. I should say he was, I guess he's, this is 1700 years ago, 1600 years ago. But it's also written, he's, it's good philosophy as well. So it's not always easy to follow. Plus, the language is a bit archaic. And so sometimes it's hard to follow the language. So that's one of the reasons why I encourage people, read the scripture, then read the homily in advance, so that when we're having a conversation, we can put those two different pieces together. Because what he's doing is he's responding to the homily. And he's going off on various things. Sometimes he's even responding to people in the in in the room in front of him. Uh, so he'll he's it's it's really a, a living kind of kind of document. Then the other benefit that it gives us is, of course, Saint Paul was writing to the Corinthians in the first century. Saint John Chrysostom was speaking to the Antiochians in the fourth century, and here we are in 21st century America. All three of those have a similar existence. They are all extremely wealthy, highly educated, multicultural, and very divided. Okay, so I think we benefit by hearing St. Paul, but we also benefit by hearing St. John Christum, who's talking to the people of his time. And so we get that extra perspective. Okay, so here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. Who wants to read for us? You want to read, Michael? Sure. All right, so in the Bible, uh, are, you, are you the same text series? Doesn't matter. 17 through 27, chapter 11. Good and loud so your voice can pick up on my microphone. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when, I, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What, I, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. 
This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, all right, so the context, right? Remember last week we talked about head coverings and we talked about how the women were, and, and men for that matter, were exchanging uh, their roles, so to speak. And it leads us into, because they were talking about in church. So now we're talking about the Eucharist. We're talking about the divine liturgy. So the context here, point number one in the uh, study guide, is that the church used to gather for fellowship before and sometimes even after divine liturgy. I guess you could call it like the ancient coffee hour, as it were. Listen to what Christostom is saying here. As in the case of the 3,000 who believed in the beginning, all had eaten their meals in common and had all things common. Such also was the practice of the time when the apostle wrote this. So remember, this is important because this is the context of this passage, right? Remember, all the things that he writes, St. Paul, we have to understand what is the context, right? And so the context here is this tradition of the ancient church to gather before or sometimes after the liturgy for a meal, okay? So that fellowship meal is not the same thing as Holy Communion. Right? So we have to understand this is the context of this conversation, right? So it, it kind of opens up our understanding of the life of the ancient church. Now, and Chrysostom says back then. So obviously, at the time of Chrysostom, this was not the practice of the church, they were not living in common. Remember, we see in the book of Acts, they had all things in common. Using today's terminology, they were almost living like a commune in the very first century. Okay, and so he's verifying that. But obviously, by the time we get to the fourth century, that is not the case. Clearly, that is not the case in our contemporary church. So obviously, we don't have these full meals. You know, we don't get together. We have coffee hour after liturgy. There are some parishes that have an entire meal every Sunday after liturgy, which I guess is much more ancient in, in that understanding. But we're, you know, we get a couple of cookies and a cup of coffee. Okay, so point number two. The ancient fellowship was for the rich or poor to share with each other, but the system had broken. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. And because, of course, some were poor, but others rich, they laid not down all their goods in the midst, but made the tables open on stated days, as it should seem. And when the solemn service was completed, after the communion of the mysteries, see, that's the liturgy part, they all went to a common entertainment, the rich bringing their provisions with them, and the poor and destitute being invited by them, and all feasting in common. But afterward, this custom also became corrupt. So this is what St. Paul is addressing here at the beginning, 
is the broken system of these common meals, not the liturgy right away. Okay, so when you come together, it is not for the right for the right reasons, and so this is where this is where we're going here. So going on to point number three, if you're following in the homily, it's going to be in section number two. Saint Paul is chastising them because they took a good thing, these fellowship gatherings, and they abused it. Listen to what Chrysostom says here, <clears throat> and we could even imagine now how would Chrysostom be talking about our social gatherings, right? How would Chrysostom respond in our case here in Tarpon to our coffee hour or to our church lunches for that matter when we, when we do have lunches? Something just to think about in our heads. And why, and why do you not praise? Because you come together, says he, not for the better, but for the worse, i.e., because you do not go forward unto virtue, for it were meet that your liberality should increase and become manifold, but you have taken rather from the custom which already prevailed, and have so taken from it as even to need warning from me, in order that you may return to the former order. So there's this, this corrective statement, you had a good thing and you've abused it. Right? Because they were not coming together for unity. They were not helping each other. Using the language from the book of Acts where it says they had all things in common, right? That had broken in Corinth. And clearly by fourth century Antioch didn't even exist. Okay, so that's, that's what's going on. Point number four. <clears throat> The division, so he says that, right, you're, you're, there are different classes, you're different groups, you're dividing. He says, we're not doctrinal, but social. So St. Paul speaks more gently. Their life was not reflecting their faith, right? Now, the, the point here is that these factions are not theological factions. They're social breakdowns. But the reason St. Paul is correcting them is because the social life is not reflecting the theological life. And that's where he's upset. Okay, listen to Chrysostom says here. By factions, here he means those which concern not the doctrines, but these present divisions. Now that he said these things of these factions relating to the tables and that contention and division, he made manifest also from what follows. For having said, I hear there are divisions among you, he stopped not here, but signifying what divisions he means, he goes on to say, each one takes before other his own supper. And again, what? Have you no houses to eat and drink in? or despise you the church of God. In other words, again, this, go back to the point here, number two, where the poor were benefiting from the rich in these social gatherings. The point here is they were taking their own food first rather than sharing it. That's where the abuse had taken place. That's why St. Paul says, don't you have, any, don't you have your, your houses to eat? You're coming here? And Chrysostom goes now on about dealing with the poor. St. John Chrysostom always defended the poor. 
at all these opportunities, he really comes down hard when a Christian does not live their faith in support of the poor. Because the poor really need us, for those of us who have faith. Okay. Point number five. Those who are united and acting in love are the ones who are honored. So not everybody was doing the wrong thing. Christum says this, what he intends to say is this, that those who are unchangeable and firm are so far from being at all injured hereby, but even shows them the more and that it makes them more glorious. So those who are doing the right things are the ones that St. Paul is elevating. So he's not only speaking against those who are doing the wrong things, he's elevating those who are doing the right thing. And Christism makes, a, makes it a point to dwell on that for a little bit. So point number six, this kind of goes along with the people doing the right or the wrong thing. Just because the church preaches correction doesn't mean everyone is bad. Some were and are doing the right thing. Are meaning 21st century. So, and that's an important thing like, you know, when we come to church on a Sunday, we might hear a correction of the church, you should be living this way. And obviously some people in the church are already doing that and some people are not, right? We have to understand that this is something good for us to understand, especially about the context of the ancient church. We shouldn't, we shouldn't believe as if no one in Corinth was doing the right thing just because St. Paul is talking this way, right? He's not casting off everybody at this point. He's saying, yeah, there's divisions among you, and I, I guess I can believe it, right? I can sort of believe it, but this is an important thing that we understand that this doesn't mean everyone was wrong. And I guess for me, the reason that becomes important is that we forget that when we're reading the scriptures, we're reading about a real living church. And sometimes we live with the misconception that the first Christians were always perfect. Well, I like to say that if the first Christians were perfect, then St. Paul would have not had reason to write all this stuff. Okay, but he did write it, which means some of the people weren't doing things appropriately. Now, the context is different from one thing to another. Some, some issues, there were more doing the wrong thing than others were doing the wrong thing. But in this case, he makes that, he makes that point. Make sense to everybody? And I guess you could say the same thing about today. Not every Christian gets it right. Not every Christian gets it wrong. Okay, point number seven. Their fellowship gatherings no longer resembled the church. Remember St. Paul says, what are you, are you disrespecting the church, right? Do you see how effectually appealing to their shame? Even already by way of narrative, he contrives to give them his counsel. For the appearance of your assembly says he is different. It is one of love and brotherly affection. At least one place receives you all and you are together in one flock. But the banquet, when you come to that, bears no resemblance to the assembly of worshipers, right? So he's, he's contrasting 
you're in the liturgy and you're all acting pious and holy and united in the liturgy, you're all receiving communion in unity, and then you go to the, to the banquet and you're all divided. Right? It doesn't at all resemble what's going on in the church, and it should. This is the point that that St. Paul and St. John Christum are making. And I think it probably should make us reflect. When we walk out of that church, does our life, especially with our fellow Christians, does it reflect the life we claim to have inside the church? Or do we walk out of the church and all go our different ways into our divisions, into our factions, and forget that we are, in fact, united? Remember, a few weeks ago, St. Paul and St. John Christum talked about the reality of our unity and our baptism. Right? This is a real thing for us. And our life is not reflecting it in the first century. And if you, if you follow St. John Christum and his examples, again, in the fourth century, and I would say clearly in the 21st century, our communal life is not reflecting the theology we claim to believe that we're all in this thing together and that we're united to each other. There wouldn't be such a discrepancy in our life if we were living what we believed. And so I think for that matter, we can probably just close up and go home because that's enough to learn if we can just make that change. All right, so point number eight. It is wrong to take what should be common and make it private. Chrysostom says this. Do you perceive how he intimates that they were disgracing themselves rather? For that which is the Lord's, they make a private matter, so that themselves are the first to suffer indignity, depriving their own table of its greatest prerogative. How and in what matter? Because the Lord's Supper, i.e. the Master's, ought to be common. Right? And if you follow, if you go back to the homily, this is in section 4, again, this is reflecting on the poor and that everything we have now he's you know Christum is saying not just communion but everything we have has been given to us by God and since it's been given to us by God we ought to be sharing it with other people and yet we're keeping it to ourselves okay now Christum is not saying this nor is Saint Paul but I'll take that exact same expression and talk about the church itself. Christ gave us the church as His, and yet we tend to keep it to ourselves, as opposed to sharing it with the world. Right, what did Christ say in Matthew? Go forth and make disciples of all nations. How could we keep what Christ has given us, what's supposed to be common for everybody, and just keep it to ourselves as, as our little secret, right? So this is, a big, this is a big problem for Chrysostom. And obviously this context is our resources, but I would take it even further to include the church itself. Okay, and if we're not sharing our faith with everybody that deserves to be, to receive the faith of Christ, then we ourselves are trying to keep private what Christ has given for everybody. Again, that's not the context here. I'm just adding that extra layer to it. 
Point number nine. It is a greater sin to ignore the poor when you are rich. And you really have to go back. You said, Connor, you were, having, you were struggling following the homily, but maybe this will help you go back and read it again. Now each of these, even by itself, is worthy of censure. For it is a fault to be drunken even without despising the poor, and to despise the poor without being drunken is an accusation. When both then are joined together at the same time, consider how exceeding great is the transgression. So he's, he's making some comparisons. If I remember correctly, he even talks about when people sin with us, we, we, have, we, are less, we feel less guilty. But that when we have a greater responsibility, then the sin is worse. Right? So when we're ignoring the poor and we are poor, it's not such a big deal. I mean, it's always a big deal, but it's less of a big deal. But when we have the means to help the poor and we ignore the poor, now we're doubly sinning. We are both not helping and we're not using our resources. If we have no resources to help, okay, it's less of a sin. It's still ignoring them, but there's a greater sin piling up if we have the resources and then don't. If, if I'm remembering the homily, that's the, that's the direction Chris Dom was taking with it. Point number 10. The purpose of the church building, and I would expand that to say in our contemporary understanding, the church campus. Right, because now churches have campuses. We have the church building, we have the fellowship hall, maybe we have an educational building, maybe in our case, you know, we own acres and acres and buildings and buildings. You know, we own, I think at last count, I think it was 11 different properties here in town, right? So I'm gonna say church building is synonymous with church campus, church property. The purpose of the church building is to come and be united. Okay, there's a purpose for it. Christum says this, for it was made a church. And again, the reason I'm making this distinction to church property is the word church ecclesia in Greek is actually the gathering of the people. So when we see the word church in English, sometimes it means the gathering of the people, ecclesia, and sometimes it means the church building, ecclesia. In modern Greek, so it's, it's an it's a interchangeable word, all right? So I'm adding the word building, and you see it in the homily, you see just the word church, okay? But that doesn't mean the gathering faithful, it means the building itself, right? It was made a church not that we who come together might be divided, but that we who are divided might be joined. And this act of assembling shows, which is why the word church, ecclesia, the assembly, implies gathering together into one. Right? So we have a play on words going on here. We have the church assembly, meaning the faithful, its purpose is for those who are divided to come together as an assembly. And now we're talking about the church building itself was made a church so that there was a place for people to come and be united as opposed to being divided. 
So again, they've turned even the building upside down in terms of its purpose. Point number 11. The correction slash penance must match the sin. Now, that's my terminology, right? Because obviously he's referring to how St. Paul is dealing with this topic with a little more uh, compassion than if it were a theological topic, right? So Chrysostom says this, being a most excellent physician, he adapts the incision to the wounds, neither cutting superficially those parts which require a deep stroke. He actually talks about the surgeon in the homily, right? And that, with a, that a good surgeon knows how deep to cut for the healing. And he's using that to describe St. Paul just how excellent of a spiritual physician St. Paul is, that in this case, because these are social divisions and not theological divisions, St. Paul doesn't cut in the same way as if when he was rooting out idolatry, you know, two chapters ago. He cuts a very different way. That's how, um, that's how why I'm saying that the correction and penance must match the sin. Depending on how wounded we are will affect the cure. Then here, St. Paul, point number 12, St. Paul invokes the memory of the passion to bring our hearts to repentance. So, he, you know, he's talking about all of a sudden he's bringing up Christ on the cross, right? So here Chrysostom says, and wherefore does he remind us of the time and of that evening and of the betrayal? Not indifferently or without some reason, but that he might exceedingly fill them with compunction were it but from consideration of the time. In other words, he's like, do you not remember that this whole thing started there? Are we forgetting why we're even gathering in the first place? He's St. Paul, and, and, and by extension Chrysostom, is uh, driving us to some, my terminology, some sense of, of conviction, right, by invoking this, this idea of the passion of Christ. That if we could think that's the whole purpose of our gathering, yeah, maybe I need to get my act together. Right? This is not just, you know, tiddlywinks that we're coming together for. It's not backgammon, you know. I want to thank um, Papa Randy here, donated uh, as part of our, our, keep, uh, our keep Us Ad Free. Randy, thank you very much. Okay, on the homily, moving on to section 5, point number 13. Again, this is talking now in that comparison of the, of the passion scene. God dined with his betrayer, and we dare to ignore our fellow believers? Think about that for a moment. Listen to what Christum says here. Therefore, he leads us to the remembrance of all those things by his time and his table and his betrayal, putting us to shame and saying, your master gave up even himself for you, and thou dost not even share a little meat with your brother for, for your own sake? Right? I mean, 
Christ had every reason to not give Judas, <laughs> to not give Judas something to eat. He knew Judas was his betrayer. And yet he gave Judas everything the same way he gave it to all of us. Okay, that's, um, that's and, and so he's calling us, and we're not gonna give? This is, this is the example that he's giving us. So now we're shifting. Now Chrysostom and St. Paul are going into uh, the, uh, the, the Eucharist itself. Point number 14. When we come for Holy Communion, we must prepare ourselves. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. If therefore you come for a sacrifice of thanksgiving, remember that's Eucharist, do thou on your part nothing unworthy of that sacrifice. By no means either dishonor your brother, nor neglect him in his hunger. Be not drunken, insult not the church. Right? These are important ways to prepare ourselves to receive Holy Communion. N notice, it doesn't talk about did we eat meat. It doesn't talk about did we do 35 prostrations. It doesn't talk about did we pray for three hours the night before. It talks about are we living our faith in our interactions with other people. That's the preparation that Chrysostom is talking about, and uh, by default, uh, St. Paul here. All right, so here's just a teaching moment theologically. Holy Communion is modeled after the Old Testament sacrifice, something that many modern Christians just simply do not understand. But what is it which he says, the cup, this cup is the new covenant? Because there was also a cup of the old covenant, the libations and the blood of the brute creatures. For after sacrificing, they used to receive the blood in a chalice and bowl and so pour it out. Since then, instead of the blood of beasts, he brought in his own blood lest any should be troubled on hearing this, he reminds them of that ancient sacrifice, right? So, again, people think that maybe we just randomly created this service that we call Holy Communion, but it is absolutely modeled after the ancient sacrifice, okay? In the case of Holy Communion, in the, in, it, is, it is, a, is a combination of the thanksgiving sacrifice and the communion sacrifice. There was a communion sacrifice in the Old Testament, right? If you go back and look at Leviticus and all those different sacrifices, one of them calls that when you offer the meat on the altar, the part that goes up in smoke is consumed by God, and the part that we eat by the cooked meat on the, on, the, on the altar is consumed by the offerer, the one who made the, the offering. And that is an act of communing with God. On what is offered on the table, God receives the part that is, goes up in smoke, right? And we receive the cooked meat. We are communing with God through that offering. All right? And that's part of the modeling that the service of Holy Communion of Divine Liturgy is modeled after, right? So we put up the bread and the wine. Now in this case, 
Christ doesn't, you know, God doesn't take any of it. He's giving it back to us, but this active communion, right? Because Christ himself is being offered, right? A lot of people don't realize that our services are in fact modeled after the Old Testament. So that's just a, a teaching sidebar uh, that really has nothing to do directly with the topic. Now we move on. Section six, point number 16. Right, remember, St. Paul says that, um, that uh, guilty of the blood, right? Guilty of the body and blood of Christ, right? So here's what Chrysostom says here. Receiving Holy Communion unworthily is the same as the soldier who pierced Christ. Remember, because he's talking about the blood here, right? The blood pouring forth. Because he poured it out and makes the thing appear a slaughter and no longer a sacrifice. Much therefore as he who then pierced him, pierced him not that they might drink, but that they might shed his blood. So likewise does he that comes for it unworthily and reaps no profit thereby. Do you see how fearful he makes his discourse and inveighs against them very exceedingly, signifying that if they thus to drink, they are thus to drink, they partake unworthily of the elements. For how can it be other than unworthily when it is he who neglects the hungry, who besides overlooking him puts him to shame? Right? So I just think that is so convicting to say that if we are receiving communion and then dishonoring it so much that we are neglecting our brothers, we may as well be the guy that just pierced his side just to see the blood pour out. Now remember, Christism is pointing out that in the ancient the ancient sacrifice, not, not, not the cross itself, but the ancient Old Testament sacrifice, the blood was collected and gathered in a cup. So what he's saying here is, when they poked Christ, they didn't even gather the, the blood. So they defamed, defamed, is that the right word? Uh, dishonored the sacrifice because they didn't even capture the blood, as should have been the case if they were following the model of the Old Testament, right? Now, parentheses. Forgive me, I'm going to speak against Protestantism for a minute. Many Protestants look at the cross as if it is the sacrifice that is the exact same sacrifice from the Old Testament that gets us forgiven, okay? If it were, then they would have been required to follow all of the prescriptions of the Old Testament, right? So it has been dishonored, right? What the cross is, and therefore what communion is, and this is what we're leading it to now with the blood of Christ, is this whole thing of saved by the blood, which is where Christendom is going to go next. Protestants say, when the, the expression saved by the blood refers to the blood on the cross. It's not. It's Holy Communion. 
okay? And again, there's that link to the Old Testament. They would have taken the blood from the sacrifice and they would have drank it. In Christ's sake, they didn't even drink that blood. They just let it gush all over the place. So there's that, there's that, uh, that discrepancy there, okay? So when Protestants talk about the blood of Christ and we talk about the blood of Christ, we're not talking about the same things. Okay, so we're acknowledging that when we talk about the blood of Christ is what saves us, it is Holy Communion. It is not that blood simply that poured out on the cross and went down into the ground. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm sorry, just, uh, just a parenthesis there. Here is another comparison now for Holy Communion from Chrysostom, point number 17 on the study guide. St. John Chrysostom compares receiving Holy Communion unworthily to the man who was forgiven much but demanded a hundred denarii. Now, if you don't know that story, that is found in Matthew chapter 18. Right? Remember, the guy who owed a whole bunch, just give me some time, and he was forgiven all of it. He turns around and refuses to forgive a guy who owed him only a hundred denarii. That's the story Chrysostom is referencing here, okay? Have you not heard how much he suffered who demanded the hundred pence? He who made void the gift vouchsafed to him, does it not come into your mind that thou were in what you have become? In other words, when we are receiving Holy Communion, Chrysostom wants us to remember that scene of the two servants who are being forgiven. If we go out and we dishonor our neighbor, we may as well be like that, that wicked servant who ended up going to prison because he refused to forgive that little debt that his fellow servant owed. That's what Christum wants us to conjure up in our minds if we're going to approach Holy Communion in an unworthily fashion. Okay, now, I guess you should feel lucky that you're not receiving communion in one sense because you're not guilty of these sins because you're not orthodox yet. But have that in your comprehension. You say, what are we doing as orthodox? Okay, because one of the benefits for us here is that when we're reading Chrysostom, he's still speaking to us in the 21st century. Remember I said our conditions are very much the same. We aren't very different from the Corinthians. We aren't very different from the fourth century Antiochians, right? And that's where our, our life application launches. So our life application for tonight, I'm calling the behavior of the Corinthians is not new, meaning we're following in the same, in the same footsteps. So here we are now. If we're following along in the homily, we're now in section seven. If you're watching at home, I will be putting the slides up on the screen in this particular section so you can follow along. So our first point in our life application, point number 18. We act just like the Corinthians when we ignore other people. Chrysostom says this, these words let us also listen to all of us. 
as many as in this place approach with the poor to this holy table, but when we go out, do not seem even to have seen them, but are both drunken and pass heedlessly by the hungry, the very things whereof the, the Corinthians were accused. Remember, there is not much new in the life of the church. St. Paul was correcting the Corinthians. Christum was correcting the 4th century uh, Antiochians. And here we are, we're doing the same thing. We're going to liturgy with them, but then we walk outside, we pretend they don't even exist. Right? And that is to our, to our condemnation. Next point. We must avoid excess after Holy Communion. Chrysostom says this, and yet, assure, and yet surely it is not the same to fast before this and after it, since although it is our duty to be temperate at both times, yet most particularly after we have received the bridegroom, before that you may become, that you may become worthy of receiving, after that you may not be found unworthy of what you have received. What then? Ought we to fast after receiving? I say not this, neither do I use any compulsion. This indeed were well. However, I do not enforce this, but I exhort you not to feast to excess. Right? So, <clears throat> there's this false piety that we need to fast before and after Holy Communion. That's what St. John Christum is talking about here. He's like saying, look, you're, you're fasting as part of your spiritual preparation to purify yourself, right? And again, we're not talking about just food, we're talking about how we treat people, etc. So he's saying, if it's that important before, look, now that we have received Holy Communion, we are communed with God. Maybe we should consider fasting after. He's saying, no, 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 I'm not saying don't eat afterwards, but don't feast to excess, right? Because remember, for St. John Chrysostom, it's that excess that we have to avoid, because the excess is what leads to luxury and luxury and debauchery and all that kind of thing. It's that downward spiral. So that's not, that we can't eat afterwards. In fact, we have to eat. But let's not, again, what's the context for St. Paul? It's these fellowship meals that had been abused, right? They, they have been destroyed of the original character of the unity and of the harmony. And people instead were getting drunk as if they were just at a big old party, okay? Next point. Luxury brings evil. What did I just say? Do you not know how great evils are brought by in luxury? Unseasonable laughter, disorderly expressions, buffoonery fraught with perdition, unprofitable trifling, all the other things, which it is not seemly even to name. And these things you do when you have enjoyed the table of Christ, on that day on which you have been counted worthy to touch his flesh with your tongue. <laughs> I mean, and again, the context here, we're pretending to be one thing in the church, 
and we go out and we completely ignore it as we walk out the doors. And we're all guilty of it. There's nothing that, you know, none of us, again, like what Krishnazam says, just because not everyone did it wrong, not everyone does it right, right? We're all at different stages of that, but it's something we have to keep in our conscience. Next point. Point number 21. The church keeps teaching, hoping that at least someone listens. <laughs> oh, I know indeed, Chrysostom says, that I say these things in vain, yet will I not cease to say them. Even, even Christum is, is acknowledging here, look, I'm going to say it. I know most of you are not going to do it, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, right? This is, again, he's speaking to us. For if you do not all obey, yet surely you will not all disobey, or rather, even though you should all be disobedient, my reward will be greater through yours will be more condemnation. However, that it may not be more, to this end I will not cease to speak. For perchance, perchance, by my perseverance, I shall be able to reach you. In other words, poor guy, he's like, I know, I'm going to say it, y'all aren't going to follow it, but I'm going to keep saying it. Hopefully some of you will listen. But my conscience in clear is having said it. And although Chrysostom doesn't say it here, it totally reminds me of the parable of the sower. Right? Because the parable of the sower is Christ. And what is he doing? He's taking his seed and he just keeps throwing it out there, keeps throwing it out there, keeps throwing it out there, knowing some is going to fall on the path and the birds are going to snatch it up, but he keeps going, he keeps going, knowing that some is going to fall on the rocks and the weeds, etc. And in that way, the church just keeps plugging away in hopes that at least someone at that point will uh, listen. All right, next one. I, I, I love this point. Real enjoyment is in Christ. But you do love enjoyment? Then on this very account, cease being drunken, for I too would have you enjoy yourself, but with the real enjoyment, that which never fades. What then is the real enjoyment ever blooming? Invite Christ to sup with you. Give him to partake of yours, or rather of his own. This brings pleasure without limit and in its prime everlasting. So I love, what I love about this line is he's like, look, we're not saying we can't enjoy life. But you really want enjoyment? The real enjoyment is in Christ. And why is Christus I'm saying this? Because he knows that if we're chasing these other things, ultimately we will never be satisfied. Greed is insatiable. Lust is insatiable. All of these passions, power, this, that, it's all, you'll never be satisfied trying to find happiness in all of these things. You want to be happy? Fine. We want you to be happy too but find it in Christ, because that's the only thing that ultimately satisfies our desire for that, 
for that joy and that happiness. And of course, he uses the word here, entertainment. Okay. Any questions before we move on to our send-off? It's a pretty, pretty heavy topic tonight. Um, before we continue, so for those of you new, and you are new, so you, right? So this is part, then part three, we end with our send-off. A little encouragement and challenge from St. John Chrysostom to lead us into our, into our next week. So between now and next week's Bible study. So speaking of next week's Bible study, you have extra homework. Next week, before next week, so next week's homily is homily 28. And uh, we'll be finishing chapter 11 for next week in Corinthians. But in addition to reading the homily, I want you to read Job in the Old Testament. Because Chrysostom in this next homily goes and does an extensive talking about Job. And you will benefit from it greatly if you also read Job. Okay? Now, I might suggest reading Job before the homily so it's fresh when Chrysostom references it. Okay, so you have a little extra homework is to read Job in preparation for next week's Bible study. So you have three things to read next week. You have Corinthians, you have Job, and you have homily 28 in Chrysostom. Okay, and as always, our challenge, our encouragement is to read Corinthians at least once a week in its entirety just to absorb it to see the flow of things from beginning to end. Have you been able to do that the past couple of weeks? I know that was our summer homework. But um, remember, it's, we lose the bigger picture when we're only focusing on a few verses. Okay, so if, if ideally, you know, once a week or as often as you can, Read the book in its entirety, all of 1 Corinthians, to see the whole flow. And then these different parts hit us differently, right? All right, so here is our send-off for tonight. Live always in moderation. That these things be therefore not so, let us follow after moderation. In the old Greek expression, metrion ariston, right? Always everything in moderation. That these things be therefore not so, let us follow after moderation. For thus we shall both be in a good state of body, and we shall possess our souls in security, and be delivered from evils both present and future, from which may we all be delivered and attain unto the kingdom. What a great challenge, right? Again, it's not about not eating. It's not even, even about not drinking. It's in moderation. If we can live in moderation, then we become better physically, we become better spiritually, and it definitely sends us in the right direction for Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, that brings us to an end of another live Bible study on the book of 1 Corinthians inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. Until next time, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ.
Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.